0: Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. We often see vulnerability in such a negative light as a weakness. And interestingly, Jonathan and the Israelites were going through vulnerability. We won't go back there because it's a long chapter to read. But if you go back to the chapter beforehand and you look at what was happening to the Philistines It actually outlines the vulnerabilities that the Israelites were going through. They were massively outnumbered. It says there that the Philistines had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now when some of the Israelites split, it clearly says Saul has 600 men left. So their first vulnerability is that they are at a massive numerical disadvantage. They also have a geographical disadvantage. The Philistines have the high ground um, and it talks about that, the cliff that Jonathan has to climb and we'll get to that in a minute. There's another disadvantage. Only Saul and Jonathan have swords and spears. Now this is an interesting one because if they're the only one with swords and spears, what do the others have? Um, Are they fighting with pruning hooks that they use in the garden? Are they using their shields to bang people on their heads? What are they doing? It's no wonder. It actually says the Israelites went and hid in caves and holes and thickets. They were running scared. Those vulnerabilities were actually outside of their control. It's not something they personally made happen and sometimes we do experience vulnerability because of perhaps a choice that we make or even sin in our lives can produce those same feelings of feeling overwhelmed or like we're struggling but a lot of the time the vulnerabilities that we experience in life in every area in our health in our relationships in our ministry in every area of your life your work your study your finances they are outside of our control and that's how we see vulnerability and typically with vulnerability we want to retreat because we look to protect ourselves from vulnerability and this is what most of the Israelites were doing, of course. They were running and hiding. But there's something interesting that happens with Jonathan. Jonathan has something stir up within his spirit. And it's a simple word, we talk about it all the time faith. He has a faith and he doesn't even have a clear word from God. But actually, he does. Because this whole word that I'm bringing today is about kingdom advancement, victories for the kingdom of God. And the one thing that Jonathan did know was that there was an overarching word from the Father to take ground from the enemy. The Philistines were uncircumcised. They were a pagan nation that did not acknowledge God as their Lord and as their sovereign Father. So the Israelites had a word to take the territory and completely wipe them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan's perhaps, even though it was a perhaps, was in line with the word and the will of God to advance his kingdom. But the interesting thing about vulnerability, when I looked it up online, that first definition was all about the weakness and you know, the risk that we might take and those sort of things. But this is the first definition that I actually read. This is the definition of vulnerability. The quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. Now, if we translate that into the spiritual, vulnerability is a willingness to be exposed to attack for the sake of extending God's kingdom. You see, we see vulnerability as something we need to retreat from and protect. But I believe when God's talking about from vulnerability to victory, we're not talking about getting through or protecting the vulnerability so that we can walk in victory, which we're going to talk about victory in just a moment. But he is talking about the Father is saying there is something that happens when we are willing instead of hiding behind and saying, I'm already vulnerable, this is outside of my control. Do you know what I believe true godly vulnerability is? It's a willingness to be exposed to attack for the sake of extending God's kingdom. But it's not circumstances outside of our control. Vulnerability is a choice. We make a choice to step outside. When we're already vulnerable, we're already under attack. We make a choice not just to step outside, but to step forward and take ground for the kingdom. And we actually see that in this scripture. Because Jonathan's undergone all these vulnerabilities. In fact, there's probably more vulnerabilities there that we haven't talked about because in the previous chapter is when his father, the king Saul, had gone against the will of God and Samuel had said, you're going to lose the kingdom because of this. Jonathan was probably experiencing emotional vulnerabilities. His father, the king, had gone against the express will of God. So it doesn't mention it, but I imagine... That had grieved his heart. So Jonathan was in pain. He was in pain for what had happened in his family, but he was in pain for what was happening in the kingdom of God. And if we have a look, just before I started reading in 1 Samuel 14, verse 4, it says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, don't know if that's a proper pronunciation, and the other Sener. One cliff stood towards the north, towards Michmash, and the other to the south, towards Geba. Now, I had a look under the Hebrew at the meaning of these names of the two cliffs. One means glistening. So, on one side, you've got a shiny rock. Now, I don't know if there's any rock climbers, but I'm not. <laughs> but a shiny rock is hard to climb up. On the other side, the other rock means thorny and craggy. So we have two things going on here. Jonathan's made a decision to step forward in a willingness to be exposed to attack. But not only that, he now has to take an extra level of vulnerability because it says he has to climb up and his armour bearer on his hands and feet. These are not just a little mound of rocks that we can run over and get to the Philistine outpost. This is okay, I feel I want to take on the enemy because this is God's call, but to get there, I'm going to have to undergo another layer of vulnerability. On one side, it's slippery. It's going to leave me feeling insecure, unstable, not sure if this is actually really what God wants me to do. And on the other side where it's thorny and craggy, it's going to be painful. You're going to get thorns in your hands. You're going to stub your knees on the rock. You see, vulnerability does cause pain. And sometimes in the body of Christ we try to gloss over things for the sake of faith. Come on, it'll be alright. Have have more faith, pray more. Now that's true, we should have more faith and we should pray more. But pain is a part of our experience and that's part of God's creation in us. And so it's no good denying that it's not there but we have to face it in order to be willing to be exposed to attack for the sake of God's kingdom. I'm not talking about a vulnerability that is just fatalistic and just, oh, fine, take a shot at me, I don't care. That is not what I'm talking about. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of God here. And so Jonathan makes the decision that not only will I be vulnerable and be outnumbered, in a bad tactical advantage, which has now gotten worse because climbing up on your hands and feet, who know? They're smart, they're just going to stand at the top and chop you up when you get there. But also, I don't know what his armour bearer has. Now, it says only Jonathan and Saul have a sword or spear. I'm not sure if Jonathan shared with his armour bearer (laughs) or if he had to literally kill them with his bare hands. I don't know what he did. It doesn't say It doesn't say. And how many times do we in the body of Christ feel like God is asking us to do things or even our pastors are asking us to do things and we don't have the weaponry or the gifts to accomplish that? How many times do we feel that? And you know, I wonder, I have a bit of a sense of humour. I wonder what our response would have been to Jonathan if we were in that armour bearer's position. (laughs) Now, come on, I'm a bit of a, I'm a logical person. I'm a processor. Any, anyone else here? I'm also, I'm being, I'm being honest, I'm a bit of a control freak. So, oh, Pastor Stephen, that's not very nice. So, I was kind of imagining what my response would have been to Jonathan. And this is, this is just me, honestly, because when I looked back, I thought that's exactly what I did last year to God. Jonathan says, come on, let's go over to their outpost. Let's get them. My response, um, we're a little bit outnumbered. Do you think that's such a good idea, Jonathan? Mm, yeah, and he says, no, come on. God can, God can deliver them into our hands by many or by few. I'd be like, well, let's ask the others to come with us. <laughs> is anyone else with me or is this just me? Come on, come on. This is the sort of conversation I'd be having. You know, come on, let's get a few of the others. And he said, well, the Lord can deliver them and let's go up, let's, let's climb up and go and get them. And then he says, all right, if we're going to go up there, we show ourselves to them. If they say, come up here, it's God. If they say, stay down there, nah. I'd be like, hang on, that's just 50-50 random choice. <laughs> what are you doing, Jonathan. And this is how I sometimes operate in my mind when Father's asking me to do something for kingdom advancement. I focus on the vulnerabilities around me and how I can bring them under my control. I focus more on my personal protection than kingdom advancement. And I wonder, if we're honest, what our response to Jonathan would have been. And I wonder what your response to Father has been recently. I don't know about you, but in talking to a lot of pastors and leaders, 2019 was a difficult year for a lot of people, Steve and myself included. We went through vulnerabilities totally outside of our control. This is not something that we made a bad choice and had that sowing and reaping principle. This was outside of our control. And part of the birthing of this message in me was the realisation that the longer and the more I focus on fixing what I believe are vulnerabilities, is the more I'm missing the opportunities to advance God's kingdom. Because the more we focus on protection, the less we actually open our eyes to look around and see what's happening in his kingdom. And so... I believe that godly vulnerability is a totally different thing to how we see the word. You see, sometimes we think of vulnerability as, you know, those people who share too much. I'm just being vulnerable. That's not me. I don't share too much. Well, maybe, hopefully not. That's not godly vulnerability. This is not what I'm talking about. It's not about allowing others to walk all over us. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's not how much we share and it's not even related to to what we are doing or what we're called to doing. Godly vulnerability is not a position of weakness. It's actually a position of strength. It's a position of strength where we understand that reliance on the spirit of God and we're going to get into victory in just a moment. And being vulnerable in a godly way to advance his kingdom is actually an expression of faith. It's not about us as a person. It's about what God has called us to move forward into. It's a repositioning for kingdom advancement rather than retreating for personal protection. Let me say that again. Godly vulnerability is repositioning for kingdom advancement rather than retreating for personal protection. And I believe this is a word for us because... You know, the enemy is, we know, the father of lies. Living in a Western world, we are constantly surrounded with the culture of the world, which preaches to us the message of comfort, promotion, self-satisfaction, gain, material possessions, fun, self-serving, self-seeking, selfishness. And because we live in that culture, sometimes we can unwittingly because it's not usually a conscious decision we can carry that over to kingdom culture and believe that because and we're going to talk about victory and prayer and all that in a minute but we can mistake having our faith and believing for an answered prayer is the most important thing And we start to carry over that self-protection mode, that self-satisfaction mode into our prayers because we start to seek personal answers to prayer above the advancement of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that praying for yourself or others is wrong. In fact, if you were here last night, Steve brought a wonderful message on prayer and we should be praying for others and we should be praying for ourselves. But when that is elevated to the point that we can't see anything else is when we actually retreat from the kingdom. And that's what the Israelites were doing because they were elevating self-protection over kingdom advancement. And you actually see that in Saul's behaviour. The reason he offered the sacrifice is because the Israelites were running. So he was feeling vulnerable. He was feeling exposed. There's not enough people here to protect me. The second reason is because Samuel wasn't there. Samuel, for him, represented the presence of God because that was his access to God. So he thought, God's abandoned me, the people are abandoning me and I've got to do something to get God's favour. But Saul did it the wrong way because his motivation was not actually to offer a sacrifice out of love. It was to offer a sacrifice to fix his own personal needs because he didn't want to die. And that's, I believe, what God's asking us to be careful of. And to have a revelation that godly vulnerability is a position of strength that understands that God is our victory. And I want to talk about victory. How are you doing this morning? Good. 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 From vulnerability to victory was the title of my word. So I want to have a look at victory. Who is it that gives victory? I'm going to fire off a few quick scriptures for you. If you're fast, you can follow along or you can just jot the reference down. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4 For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. You see, the Lord always gives the victory. The Lord always gives the victory. I had a look through the Bible. I cannot find anywhere where the Lord doesn't give the victory when it's talking about it. It doesn't relate victory to a person. Now, God uses people as his vessels, but it's the Lord who gives the victory. The Lord brings the victory. Psalm 20 verse 6. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Are you his anointed this morning? Are you his anointed this morning? The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Psalm 60 verse 12. With God, we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. You know, I believe in 2020, we need a fresh revelation of victory. A fresh revelation of victory because victory is not a personal breakthrough in our own problems. It's not. There is a difference between an answered prayer and victory given from the Lord. And I'm going to show you that in the scripture and they're ones that you know very well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Some of you can probably quote it or once I start saying it. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And how does he give us the victory? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You see, victory in the Old Testament was always related to winning the battle over physical enemies. Why? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. So God was asking them to advance the kingdom. Now, victory in the Bible is always related to two things. Firstly, defeating the enemy. But secondly, it is to taking back territory for the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus has won the victory for us through the cross of Calvary. The New Living Translation of that verse says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a subtle message that I believe has been spoken over the last 20 years ago in the body of Christ. And I've heard things said like, Oh, that person's not walking in victory. Oh, that person is not seeing victory in their lives and i can understand the motivation for what people are saying that they may not be living in the fullness of what christ has given for them but father really slammed me on this because it says clearly in the word that our victory is in jesus christ it's not in our personal struggles it's not in our experiences of relationship and family and work and finances and ministry and the problems and situations that we have to face. And there's a wonderful scripture in 1 John chapter 5. verses. I'll read verses 3 to 5. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Get this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Why? Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. What is the victory? The victory is our faith. And it says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Every single born-again believer who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has the victory and is an overcomer. You cannot say to me that someone just because they're struggling with anxiety is not living in victory because if they are saved, they are in victory. They might be experiencing something. They might be going through challenges, but it does not mean they are not in victory. I saw a father actually give me a prophetic picture of this. And I saw, I don't know how many people, there were masses of people And on one side were the believers, the body of Christ. And they had victory stamped on them. And on the other side were people who were not part of the body of Christ. Now the thing is, the enemy spends a lot of his time trying to tell the body of Christ that they're not living in victory because we are experiencing challenges and attacks. And the more he can blind us to that fact is for one reason only. It's to stop us advancing the kingdom because he knows he cannot take back our victory. Do you know he cannot actually grab it off us? There is no way he can. And his whole mission is to try and take as many people to hell with him as he can. And so if he can stop us advancing the kingdom, then he will do everything in his power to do so. And one of the ways he does that is to attack us in our mind and tell us you're not living in victory because you sinned yesterday you're not living in victory because of the way you spoke to your wife you're not living in victory because you were worrying too much about that yesterday you're not living in victory because that relationship with that friend you need to treat that differently you're not living in victory because i told you to give and you didn't give and they are actually lies of the enemy Now, that doesn't mean it's not disobedience if we go against what Father has said. It doesn't mean it's not sin. But the word is very clear. We have the victory in Jesus. You see, victory is a position. It's not something we do. It's a position. We have the victory. We cannot have it taken away. In fact, we can only give it away if we literally step back over the line and say... I do not accept Jesus as my Lord anymore. That is the only time we step out of victory because victory is something that Jesus has won for us. And I believe that that is so important for us because even as leaders and particularly as leaders, we are coming under more attack than ever before. And I can show you story after story after story in the Bible. We godly leaders came under external attacks that put them in a position of feeling vulnerable. And the only way they advanced the kingdom was to actually step further into vulnerability. They actually had to step totally out of their comfort zone. You think of Queen Esther. Now we know she went before the king, if I die, I die. But we've forgotten about what happened before that. She was taken out of her position in the Jewish community, put into a pagan palace, where she knew she would be called in to sleep with with the king and perhaps be made his wife, but perhaps not. She would then become a secondary wife. Who knows if she would ever have children? Who knows if she would ever be seen again or spend her life sitting in a pagan king's palace as part of a harem, perhaps to be called on forever? Esther had been totally stripped of everything that was of her culture that she wished to pursue. In that time, part of advancing the kingdom for a woman would have actually been to marry a Jewish man and bear children. You can see that theme all through the Old Testament. Esther was stripped of that. She was stripped of that. She had no chance of realising those dreams and yet she was still willing because her choice was not about protecting herself or making her own dreams come true. It was about saying, I'm going to advance the kingdom of God. The children of Israel are under attack and it is up to me to step up. And I believe God's calling us all as leaders to step up this year. Because the word I had at the start was 2020 is a year of great victories to advance the kingdom. It's not going to necessarily be a year of personal victory. Now, maybe I'm not prophesying that over you. But there is no such thing as a personal victory if you already have victory. There is a breakthrough, there's an answer to prayer. And God also wants to do that in our life. But that's not the main thing he wants to do in our life because the enemy is already defeated. But what our call as Christians is, our call as Christ followers is to advance the kingdom. You know, we all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Our first call as believers is to be in the presence of God, to have relationship with him. That is our first call. That is our first love. We know that. But what does it say second? Your kingdom come. What is his kingdom coming? It is the royal authority to rule and reign that Jesus won on the cross, but we have to step into that. You see, we can live as a Christian, as a believer but not advance the kingdom. We can, be, we can be over the line, but never do anything to take ground from the kingdom. And that's actually what we're called to do. You know, in the Old Testament, that was literal. The Israelites were called to take territory back from the enemies. They were called to invade and establish God's kingdom. Now, we don't invade countries now. That's not what we're called to do. But on a spiritual level, we are called to invade and establish God's kingdom, God's culture, where it has not previously been. And that's both in the lives of individuals as salvation, but it's also in the culture and overcoming the principalities and powers of this earth. We don't fight with carnal weapons but the weapons we do have are for pulling down strongholds and here's something father showed me out of the scripture and also showed me something that i do you know when i go through external vulnerabilities i do go into that protection mode you know particularly when things are outside of my control being a control freak when they're outside of my control it messes with my mind i'm just being honest with you But you see, the longer I focus on that, I miss the big picture of what God's doing. And God showed me that when I'm in a position that I feel vulnerable, my focus turns entirely to self. Entirely to self. I was so convicted that when things were going on that I hadn't even started to look at, okay, God, what are you doing in your kingdom right now? Because if we start to see ourselves as warriors standing on the front of the battleground... If there's a general who's doing that and they start to come under attack in a particular area, they don't look inward. They go, What is the enemy doing right now? What is happening over there and how do we advance and stop that? And I'm just being honest here. You know, when was the last time that we are under attack and instead of praying for our own deliverance, we say, God, what are you doing in your kingdom? Would you show me the spiritual principalities and powers that are in operation right now so that I can pray into that, not for myself, but for the kingdom? Because as leaders, when we come under attack, we have to realize it's never just about us. As believers, when we come under attack, it is never just about us. God is allowing things to happen and doing something bigger. Doing something bigger. Has anyone ever felt like they have just been going through a stripping process? Anyone? Yeah, has anyone had that recently? Like they're like, why is so much stuff just being stripped away? You know, I was reminded of, um, I like renovation stuff and I don't know if anyone's ever seen any. I haven't seen any physically but on a show where they have paint stripper baths and they use it for... Uh, old pieces of furniture and they literally lower in a door or a chair into this bath of paint stripper because there's so many layers of paint and residue that they can't just get it off with normal sanding and they lower it into the bath very carefully with gloves and tongs because it's, it's toxic stuff But after a short while in this bath and they bring it out, very easily that paint just wipes off and it comes back to the bare timber. And God showed me this picture and I thought, it's actually what you've done with my life, God. Because without realising it, I had layered up these things in my life which were becoming part of my security, part of my protection to cover up my own insecurities to make me feel comfortable. And God put me through this stripping process and at first I didn't understand it. But what I started to see was when I allowed that stripping process and stopped focusing on my personal comfort and his kingdom, my eyes just opened. The revelation I started getting out of the word and for the kingdom as soon as I switched my perspective was astonishing in fact, I was like, God, what are you doing here? But he showed me that that is actually our purpose. When we step into our authority, it has nothing to do with ourself. It's actually stepping into what Jesus said when he said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't just say endure it, you got to take it up. You have to take it up. And I know this isn't necessarily an easy, wonderful message that I'm that I'm speaking, but I believe this is an empowerment we need because it is a lie of the enemy that tells us to seek comfort and pleasure and security. And, you know, we all have vulnerabilities. Your vulnerabilities might be internal. You might struggle with some fear of man, perhaps some general insecurities, even mental health struggles. You might struggle with anxiety, depression. We don't even want to name it as that because it's just anti-faith. You might struggle with some external things, things outside your control, areas of finance, of work, of relationships. You might have children who are away from the Lord or struggling. You might have things that are within your choice that you're still struggling with, temptations and weaknesses. You know, there are so many areas we can feel vulnerability. And one thing I noticed with that paint stripper is God will remove your securities in the areas which are most important to you. I have to tell you a bit of a funny story so that you can laugh at me. Because, as mentioned, I do like to be in control. And I I love order. I like everything in its place. I like to know what's going on. I just, I love order. You know, God's a God of order. That's a good thing, right? But it does go to extreme. And so through this stripping process that I went through over a year and a half, It culminated for me last year in October and Steve and I visited Perth for 11 days um, and we visited six different churches over those 11 days. And as part of that time I was taking two sessions, doing two presbyteries with Steve and multiple other, you know, prayers and prophesying over people at the end of meetings and lunches and all this sort of stuff that happens as part of the trip. And for me, you have to understand doing a presbytery, which is prophesying over people, I have never been called in terms of, you have a gift of prophecy. I see prophecy over you. I've never had a word, never had a, ah, moment. None of that. Just, okay, you're going to step out and do this. What, huh? Who signed me up for that? I think it was my husband. The funny thing is, not the funny thing, the godly thing is, serving the prophetic being in the presence of the prophetic starts to release the prophetic. But I felt like, I felt kind of like uh, Jonathan's armour bearer. I didn't have a sword. I didn't have a spear. What do I have? Uh, not much. God. I have God. I have the spirit of God. But that's not all the issue. So we went on this ministry trip to Perth. Just before we left, we had major family issues. I had severe demonic attacks to the point that I was ending up out of bed on the floor in the middle of the night. I also, in travelling, get um, headaches and even migraines and vertigo and the cabin pressure does exacerbate that. I'm also a person of order, so when I go to a different time zone, I struggle to wake up at the time I should be waking up at. I'd wake up at the normal time. So travelling to Perth, we were on a three-hour difference. So I start my trip with spiritual attacks Emotional attacks. I start waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning because my body's telling me it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Then to add insult to injury, I get the most terrible bout of gastro I've ever had. Vomited the whole night through. I know, it's not finished yet. (laughs) Vomited the whole night through as if that wasn't enough because my body was by then so stressed and fatigued after four days of hardly sleeping and all that. I had this massive cold sore on my face, and I mean massive, so I'm having to preach and prophesy, looking all festy and disgusting. And to top it all off, I then got a urinary tract infection. (laughs) Now, don't feel sorry for me because there's a point to this story. It is a bit funny. I can laugh at it now. I was not laughing at the time. And Steve got off (laughs) scot-free. Nothing. Not, not, Not a bit of attack whatsoever. He's just La 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 la, waltzing through you. Yes, bless you in the name of Jesus. Steve does go through his struggles. It was my turn. The point of telling you that story is this, and this is where this word got birthed out of afterwards. Because I said, God, what we? I actually started saying, God, what were you doing then? And what he showed me is when I was completely stripped back out of every control, because I was spiritually, emotionally, mentally and physically, I was weak. In fact, I couldn't even think straight half the time I was that sick. And yet I said, God, you've given me a word. I'm going to get up and speak it. God, I believe you have called me to prophesy over people even though I haven't had a prophetic word I haven't had writing on the wall I haven't had 20 people come up and confirm it to me but I believe this is something you're calling me to do so whatever you say to me no matter how weird it sounds in my mind I'm going to lay it on the line I'm going to say it if I make a fool of myself if it's totally wrong I'm going to say it because I had a revelation that when God removes all our control when we feel the most vulnerable is when we can most operate in his spirit Because the more we try and control, the less we're actually operating in the spirit. And we can subtly bring this into our lives, even in our ministry, because we get used to doing what we're used to doing. And when God says, take that step, we go, ah, no, that's not my gifting. I should focus on my strengths. And God says, you're missing the point. I don't want you to focus on your strengths. And as leaders taking ground for the kingdom requires a vulnerability a vulnerability that says I am already smashed but I'm going to take it a step further I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to give you a prophetic word not just some oh I see you increasing for the kingdom but I'm going to give specifics on your calling and on your gift that I feel God's saying and if I get it wrong I am willing to make a fool of myself you know we don't live in an environment where we are at risk of our lives typically for our faith we're not going to get hauled off to prison. We're not going to potentially be killed, which is happening in other countries. And that's made us soft in some ways. Because we are, we, we are soft. We're like, oh, what if I get a bit rejected? What if God asks me to go and do something that's going to cost me big financially? Are you willing to lay it on the line? Are you willing? When was the last time we really gave it all up for the cause of Christ? When was the last time we felt that little prompting and said, God, I know you're asking all of me, but I'm going to give it all. Because that is the other side to victory. We already have the victory. But God wants us to see the victory in others. And we do that as leaders by stepping out in front. How many of you love those movies like Braveheart and all those things? They love, that we all love the heroes who are charging out in front, but so often those heroes are wounded, they are bleeding, they have lost people. And yet we sort of creep back and go, oh, well, I'll just stay in. This is my little comfort zone of ministry. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want the people to think bad of me. But God is calling us to so much more than that. We must never confuse kingdom victory with personal breakthrough because they are two different things. We must never confuse it. And as I said before, it is not about praying, it's not about not praying for a personal breakthrough. That's not what I'm saying. It is not ungodly to pray for a personal breakthrough. But when that becomes the focus of our life, when that becomes the focus of our comfort, and we don't see kingdom anymore, then I believe we're not doing what Jesus said when he said, pray your kingdom come. Because first is his kingdom. His kingdom coming is his ultimate mission for us. And for leaders, we are called to be on the front line. We should expect to be in battle. We should expect it. We're gonna stop being surprised. God is calling us to a year of great victories. We all want victories. You know, my father-in-law, uh, David McCracken, says, um, "If you're, if you're not living a life of opposition, you cannot live a life of conquest." You know, everyone wants a testimony, but no one wants the test. Everyone wants to walk on water, but no one wants to get out of the boat. We're going to start to get out of the boat, people. In every area of our lives, with our friendships, with our finances, with our ministry, but particularly with our prayers. Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. I want to challenge you today. The next time you come up against opposition, yes, you can pray, Father, deliver me from this. But I challenge you to go further. God, what are you saying? What are you saying about the body of Christ? What are you saying about my community, my street, my neighbourhood? You know, when we're challenged about an area, might be pride or lust or not generosity or whatever it is, perhaps Father's saying, I want you to repent on behalf of the body of Christ for the pride that's crept in. It's not just about us. You know, when we repent, when we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, that's when God hears us. That's when God heals our land when we pray. And I believe this taking back territory is all about prayer. But it's about our focus in prayer. And our focus must shift from personal to kingdom. It must. And kingdom means we pray for our body of Christ. It absolutely does. But it's bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's about, God, what are you doing right now in your kingdom? Show me how I can advance your kingdom right now. Show me how I can take back territory. Right now, I'm focused on feeling pain. How do I take back territory from the enemy right now? You know, we talk about um, in uh, in Ephesians, yes, Galatians, Ephesians. I'm having confusion now. It's all the heap. The armor of God, Ephesians 6. You know, and Paul says, take up the shield of faith, and it will extinguish every fire da- fiery dart of the enemy. He's not talking about attacks outside of his control. He's talking about the shield of faith. This is what we talked about with victory. Our shield of faith is saying, regardless of attacks, I have the victory. He is not talking about going through difficulties. Otherwise, you think about Paul's life, he was smashed. From the moment he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and he started advancing the kingdom, he had an all-out assault on his life. You see, the shield of faith is not about stopping challenges. The shield of faith is about showing us that we have the victory. And as long as we understand that and have a revelation of our victory, the enemies cannot get in to damage our faith. But if we lower that, if we start equating victory with personal breakthrough, or lack of victory with too many challenges, that's when our shield goes down and we weaken ourselves further. I believe godly vulnerability is about a position. It's a position and it's also a prayer. It's about a position where our love for advancing God's kingdom far outweighs any personal challenges we are facing. It's a position of understanding that the battle is the Lord's and that he wins the victory and he has already won the victory. It's it's a realisation that we triumph over our personal challenges not when we see the breakthrough but when we rise up in spite of them. When we are that hero of the faith who might be bleeding and battered and please, I am not trivialising any challenges you may have gone through. I am not. I am not. Steve and I have gone through some really difficult ones ourselves. I am not trivialising it. And there are times that God says, it's just time to rest now. The same with a soldier on the field. But I believe for too long, instead of just resting, we have retreated. There is a time for rest, but never a time for Retreat. Never a time for a retreat. You know, we triumph over our personal challenges, not when we receive the breakthrough. Not when we receive an answer to prayer. That's not victory. That's an answered prayer. Let's not confuse the two. We triumph when we rise up in spite of them. You know, our greatest triumph is when we actually risk it all. When we risk our reputation, our finances, our health, everything for the cause of Christ. Christ. When we are willing to do whatever it takes to extend the gospel, when we are willing to make a fool of ourselves and even to lose our reputation, that's when we are extending the cause and that's what godly vulnerability is. And when we step into that vulnerability, that's truly when we see the victory of taking back territory from the enemy. We have to be willing to be exposed to attack. You cannot win... For the kingdom hiding behind a security blanket of comfort and control. You cannot. You cannot. David had to step out. Vulnerable. No armour. He'd just gone under criticism from his brothers. He was vulnerable. He was going up against a massive giant. And we always talk about it. But what was his position? His position was not, I want to win this victory for me. It was for the armies of the children of the Lord. That's where his focus was. It wasn't on himself. And if you look at hero after hero of the faith, they forgot about their cause of self and started fighting for the cause of the kingdom. Living in victory does not mean we're not going to have challenges. But that's also not equated with our victory. We have the victory and nothing can take it away. Nothing can take it away. And I know this is so simple But I believe God's saying we've got to be reminded of this. We've got to come back to the truth of his theology because we've created a false theology about what it means to walk in victory. And it's not the truth of his word. It is not. It is not the truth of his word. We have the victory and we cannot have it taken away. But then there is that next part where God's saying, I've called you to advance my kingdom. We each have a call to do that. This is not just for your pastors. This is not just for someone who has a ministry role. Every believer is called to advance the kingdom. And as church leaders, we want people to follow that. If they know that we're retreating, they're not going to advance. What would it look like when the army of God truly stood up And instead of going, okay, you're firing darts at me, and sometimes they're not darts, it's just circumstances. You know, our suitcase got lost yesterday and we got delayed. The plane overheated, you know. I don't take that as, oh man, I'm under assault from the enemy. It's just a circumstance. Your flat tyre, your bad haircut (laughs) It's not an attack, people. Come on. There are just circumstances sometimes. But even that can derail us. We can go so important. So important. Oh, wow. You know, we had fun on our runaround to Kmart last night. Are you willing to stand up against the principalities and powers? Because to do that, you're going to come under further assault because it's one thing the enemy hates. It is a nice word, isn't it? But are you willing to lay it all down for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to lose your comfort? Are you willing to overcome your insecurities Are you willing potentially for your bank balance to go to zero because God says, go here or do this? Are you willing? Because whatever is your biggest vulnerability, God will press on it. If it's your health, he'll press on it. If it's your family, he'll push. If it's your money, he'll push. Whatever we desire in terms of ourselves, he'll push the buttons. And like Abraham When we are tested, are we going to say, I give it all up for you, God? I give it all up for you, God. Just want to finish with going back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. I've lost my verse now. Yes, but I wanted to start before that. Oh, there it is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 to 58. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The enemy can, in fact, take our lives if God allows. But we don't lose our victory. We cannot lose our victory. The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. So even over sin, we already have the victory. Don't listen to the enemy's lies that when you sin, you've lost your victory. Because for as long as you still believe in and declare that Jesus is Lord, you have not lost your victory. He has won the victory. Don't let him knock you down in guilt and condemnation. A loving conviction is from the Lord. Guilt and condemnation is from the enemy. It is from the enemy and we all make mistakes, but when we do, let's come to him and let's bring our focus back to kingdom. Let's say, Father, I repented that and Lord, I repented that for the body of Christ. I humble myself and I pray on behalf of my region, on behalf of my city, on behalf of my nation, for my neighbours, that we would not be caught up We would not be caught up. When it says deliver us from the evil one, yes, we're asking for deliverance, but we're also saying deliver us that the enemy, that the culture of the world doesn't get in here. You know, John says, I pray not that you're taken out of the world, but that you don't be overcome by the evil one. It's not about that we don't operate in the world. It's we're praying for deliverance so that we don't allow the father of lies to invade our heart. That's our true deliverance. Our true deliverance is when we understand we have the victory and we don't allow the enemy to invade that space. That space is ours. We have it. See it as a line drawn in the sand. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. No retreat. It is standing firm on the victory that he has given us. Let nothing move you. I want to challenge you to start looking at faith and victory differently in the Word. Ask God to reveal to you what you've been looking at through a different lens, through a personal lens, and ask Him to show you a kingdom lens for victory and faith. And then it says, Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, which is not just for those in paid ministry. We are all in the ministry of reconciliation. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, which is advancing the kingdom knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Everything you do to advance the kingdom is reaping fruit. You may not always see it. Many died in faith, but they held on to the promises. Some of the things even in our personal lives that we hold on to, we have to have faith and we may never see the answer. That's not a negative prophecy. That's an understanding that our personal breakthrough is not God's primary objective. I want to say that again. Our personal breakthrough is not God's primary objective. It's not because he's already given us the victory. We have victory. His greatest objective for us is our first love and kingdom advancement. First love and kingdom advancement. I wonder if we can just pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Can you just stand with me, please? Let's stand together. Stand together. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that you have given us victory through your Son, Jesus Christ. Our salvation is our victory. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to do anything for it. Father, we just have to accept and believe. And by doing that, we overcome the world. We overcome the world. And right now, together, we join our hearts and our minds and our declarations, and we declare together that we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that nothing will shake us from that. Nothing will shake us. No attack from the enemy. No circumstance outside our control will attack that faith. But more than that, Father, together we take a stand today. We take a stand and say we will stand firm, but not only will we stand firm, but we will step forward. We will step forward in a position which says we will put aside control and insecurities and vulnerabilities and say we will advance the kingdom of God. We will see victories for the kingdom of God this year because that is what God is asking us to do. And so, Father, we commit these words to you. Lord, I commit Riverage Church to you. I commit Pastor Seaman and Pastor Kylie to you. I commit every leader here to you. Lord, that you will drop this word deep in their hearts, that they will never be shifted from their understanding of victory. And, Lord, that this is a year where they will see the supernatural at work. They will see the spirited work. They will see kingdom advancement in their in their families, in their communities, in this region, in this city. Father, we declare your victory. We declare your kingdom has come. Lord, would your will be done in our lives and in our churches? Would we rise up as one, as the body of Christ, and advance and take back the ground in your royal rule and authority? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.